Well, we are uh, about halfway through a series on defeating the hurry that, uh, that infects our lives. Uh, and we're doing that through engaging the call to discipleship that is becoming more and more like Christ and taking on the easy yoke that he offers. We're exploring and pursuing those spiritual practices that take us out of hurry. Now, last week we examined Christ's regular practice of seeking solitude and, uh, and heard the challenge for, for us to do the same on a, on a daily basis. And so i got to ask you, how did that go for you? How was your week of engaging with solitude? Now, it, it may be that it was more difficult than you anticipated. Because a common reaction is, well, yeah, you know, it, it didn't really work for me. Uh, I, I just couldn't stay focused. My mind was wandering all over the place. So I guess the lesson here is that solitude isn't really my thing. Well, I would say that a wandering, distracted mind is evidence that solitude is, in fact, doing its work on you. And that is why I recommended, uh, you may recall, that we, that we start out uh, without uh, an open Bible in front of you or a text or, or, or something to meditate on. Because if you imagine a dry lake bed, right, where the, where the water has drained away, um, and there you see in the mud and the sand discarded garbage, uh, maybe some leaky oil barrels, a rusted out old car. Would you say, in that situation, man, we got to get the water back in this lake because I don't want to see this anymore. we got to cover this up. No, no, no. That, you would see that now we have a chance to get at the garbage that was always there. It's a chance to clean it up. Well, the same is true with your wandering mind in a time of solitude. You, you ought to engage the solitude and then take notice of what it is that is distracting you because it's what's under the surface all the time in the midst of the noise. It's just sort of covered up. This is your chance to reflect on why it is there, uh, to know your own heart, and then to begin to, to piece by piece sort of surrender each of those things to God. And in time you'll find that your, that your quiet is quieter. Um, and you'll be able to focus on what God has done and is doing. So I want to encourage you to continue in solitude. And our next spiritual discipline or practice to battle our hurry is Sabbath keeping. Sabbath, the, the Sabbath command is nearly as old as time, right? Because we know that Sabbath is rooted in creation. As the crowning event of creation after six days of creating... God rested on the seventh day, and then he blessed that day and made it holy, a sacred space on the calendar for all ages to come. It's a day of rest. Later, at the creation of a new nation at Mount Sinai, God spoke to his people and he called Israel to remember the Sabbath day. And at that time, he rooted the Sabbath command in the creation account. And he made it clear that Sabbath rest is for everyone. Um, including children, including servants, including foreigners, uh, and even the, the animals of the Israelites. And it's 40 years later, at the border of the promised land, that the command to Sabbath is renewed and reinterpreted. So I'm going to read now from uh, the, uh, the reissue, if you will, of the Ten Commandments. Um, I'll read uh, verses 12 through 15. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, 
But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. The word of the Lord. So there it is, the Israelites are are within sight of Jericho, and God commands Sabbath observance again. In fact, he does it, if you're listening, he does it twice in that command. He opens with it, and he closes with it. He says, observe the Sabbath day, and at the end, God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So, and, And how do we observe the Sabbath day? Well, by keeping it holy. And holy means set apart, different. God is saying, observe a sacred day before the six days of rest. And to observe, well, the the original Hebrew word there is shemar, or or, uh, commonly translated to keep. But but it's a very strong word, actually. It is used uh, uh, in certain places of of keeping something very tightly, of actually hoarding. Uh, It's also used of watchmen who shemar, or guard the city through the night. We have to guard the Sabbath. And here in Deuteronomy, Moses roots the renewed commandment in their status as ex-slaves. Remember, he says, you were slaves in Egypt, but God freed you. And God is going to continue to free you. He's going to set you free from your labor once a week, each week. And you're to free everyone, right down to, to, to the littlest baby goat that you've got in your backyard. Freed from any work on the Sabbath. And so then, throughout Israel's history, Sabbath observance, Sabbath keeping, waned and waxed. The Sabbath call to rest was was not always faithfully observed. Nehemiah, many centuries later, reminded the Israelites that the faithless Sabbath days of their ancestors had been part of the reason for their exile to Babylon. And so Nehemiah actually... Uh, because he was observing all kinds of sort of Sabbath breaking, he actually locked the city gates to keep merchants from coming in and out, and he threatened to arrest them as a, as a way of reinstating the Sabbath. Because Nehemiah wanted Israel to take the Sabbath seriously, and he succeeded. Because by the time of Jesus, Sabbath observance was the primary identity marker for the Jewish people. Right? By, the, by the time of the first century, uh, the land of Israel was, uh, was ruled by and filled with uh, Gentiles. And so Sabbath obedience was an easily observed practice and became a way to differentiate themselves, for the Jewish people to differentiate, differentiate themselves as the people of Yahweh. But legalists, like the Pharisees, had performed God's rest into a burden. They and other groups uh, had, had this sort of collective obsession with the minutiae of, of Sabbath observance, the laws. They actually sat down and, uh, and, and, and would uh, theorize, make up hypo- hypothetical situations so that people would know what to do just in case this hypothetical situation ever happened. One example is that they sat down and they worked out a law 
But what do you do if a, if a house collapses in your village on the Sabbath day and the family is trapped inside? Well, what you do is you can only remove so much rubble as would let you know who was still alive. And once you figured out who was alive, you could, you could move a little more rubble to, to free them. But if uh, anybody that you found was dead, you know, stop and then you, know, you would deal with them then on the following day. So the, the, the Pharisees argued and cajoled, and the people suffered. And so now to our uh, New Testament reading from Mark chapter 2. I'm reading verses 23 to 28. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priest to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So the, the Lord of the Sabbath here reminds the Pharisees of the Sabbath's restful purpose. Jesus asserts his divine lordship in a, in a, in a new way here. He, he, di, he, he compares his disciples' apparent violation of the Sabbath to a previous well-known act of David back in the Old Testament from the time before David was crowned king. Right At, at the time, uh, David was on the run from, from Saul and David... Uh, and his starving men came to the tabernacle. Uh, David entered the holy place, and he took what was called the bread of the presence off of, off of the table that was set aside only for the priests. He and his men ate to satisfy their hunger and so to regain their strength. Now, Jesus knew that no Pharisee is going to stand up and, and criticize this act of David. And for Jesus, it's a strategic choice because this account... Uh, at, at that point in history, uh, has David, who is the messianic forerunner, he, David at that point was anointed by God, but he was not yet publicly enthroned. Kind of like Jesus, who was anointed for his messianic ministry at baptism, but had yet to be publicly enthroned as king over all creation. And so just in case they missed the point, to make it even clearer, Jesus refers to himself as the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, today, we love this text, right? We celebrate Christ's liberating declaration, people were not made for the Sabbath, right? That would have been, at the time, a, a blunt rejection of the Pharisees' approach. And that, that statement resonates with those of us who remember uh, Sabbath burdens, right? In years past, the Sabbath in our, in our own Christian tradition was far more strictly held, right? And so we can swap extreme tales of what we weren't allowed to do. Um, a friend of mine who usually wins, uh, she remembers uh, a Monday evening when two church elders came to their house in their suits and ties because her father had been spotted barbecuing on Sunday. And so, yeah, we say, yeah, no, no, no. We, will, we are not, again, going to be slaves 
to Sabbath legalism. Now here's the problem. In swinging the pendulum back, we have lost something valuable. Living in the vortex of this hurried world, we would do well to consider whether our current attitudes and practices on the Sabbath reflect a liberation or a capitulation. In in a world where busyness is seen as a badge of honor, the call to Sabbath rest is the one command we brag about breaking. But is this really freedom that we're experiencing? Are we really freed? You can think about that as you stand in the checkout line in the grocery store with a pint of half and half in your hand on your way home. Of course, you, you need it. You need it for coffee after church. And so you're standing there eager to get going, feeling a little bit impatient, but there's, you know, four people ahead of you in the line. And, uh, you know, you can't help but watching, watching the, the lady at the conveyor belt as she's unloading her cart, putting 21 items in the express lane, uh, you know, conveyor. You have to ask yourself, okay, is this, is this Sabbath freedom? Am I feeling freed today? The Pharisees may have forgotten that people were not made for the Sabbath, but it seems that we have forgotten that the Sabbath was made for people. That valuable thing that we've lost is Sabbath rest. Sabbath is another helpful discipline for overcoming our hurry sickness. Sabbath is actually a verb. It means to stop, to cease. It does not mean to finish. That is, you are never going to enter a Sabbath rest with a completed to-do list. Get over it. It's just, it's not going to happen. To stop is to express your faith, your belief that the whole world does not actually depend on you. And that, in fact, even you don't depend on you. To stop work is to say, I trust in God's care and control. And in certain places, that, that verb Sabbath can mean to delight. Because Sabbath is a celebration. It is a time for joy. Pastor Comer, in in the book that we're sort of following along, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, he says, we ought to think of Sabbath as a holiday that comes every week, but without all the stress and family drama. God calls us to recognize that as creatures, we need Sabbath. In his book, Subversive Sabbath, A.J. Swoboda uh, observes that Sabbath, uh, Sabbath observance is a law, but it's, but it's a certain kind of law, right? It's, it's actually not a law like, like speed limits, right? The law says, you know, you, you can't be doing 60 and a 50. It's, he says it's more a law like, like gravity is a law. It just is. And for proof, we can look to societies where they have sought to abolish the weekly Sabbath, Comer gives the example of revolutionary France. Uh, They switched, after the revolution, they switched to a 10-day work week in order to increase productivity. And the result was the crash of the economy, a skyrocketing suicide rate, and far less productivity. Anybody who has gotten sick from working too long and hard knows this, right? And as it turns out, the opposite is also true. That is... Um, Sabbath-keeping comes with measurable health benefits. 
Seventh-day Adventists are a denomination that takes Sabbath observance very seriously. Studies show that members of the Seventh-day Adventist church, that denomination, live on average uh, 10 years longer than the expected, you know, sort of the standard life expectancy. 10 years longer. So if you do the math, that means that every Sabbath that you take in your life doesn't count towards the total. It doesn't count towards the total number of days you get. Right? Sabbath, Sabbaths are, are kind of a life expectancy freebie in the, in, the, in the way that God has ordered the world. We even see that uh, in, in, in other places. So, for instance, in, in Jerusalem, where the commandment, uh, Sabbath observance, is most broadly held, death rates actually go way down on the Sabbath day. And it's believed this happens because people... Uh, who, are, who are ill and in their last days rally their strength in order to engage the community and celebration that Sabbath brings. And we see it in creation, right? How, how our gardens flourish with life of all kinds when we're on vacation and come back, or, or when the canals in Venice uh, were crystal clear at the height of the pandemic lockdown in Italy. Contrary to what the hurried world might teach, to take a full day of Sabbath rest, it is not selfish and it's not self-indulgent. It is just good stewardship of your finite, creaturely heart and soul, body and mind. So give it a rest. To Sabbath is to pursue sustainable economic justice. Remember, says the Lord, you were slaves in Egypt. Sabbath is a kind of subversion, a rebellion against oppression. To take a break from buying and selling in store or online is to give others a break, right? A, a break from dealing with you, the customer. And it's also to release ourselves from the burden of continually accumulating more stuff. Remember, the Sabbath was intended to be life-giving, a gift of God, the evidence that in the composition of the creation account in Genesis chapter 1, the Sabbath is the first full day for humanity. Think about it, right? So uh, man and woman are created on the sixth day. They wake up the next morning, the very first full day, and God says, rest, day of rest. Because the Sabbath is not, not to be seen as, as a utilitarian in purpose primarily. Right? Sabbath is not a payback for the work that you've done in the week gone by. Right? It's, it's, it's a gift at the start of the week. The Sabbath then gives us three work days to look back in gratitude and three days of looking forward to the next. As the Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann testifies, those who keep the Sabbath live all seven days differently. Okay, so now to the uh, to the application, how to observe the Sabbath by keeping it holy. First of all, uh, good Sabbath keeping is going to require some preparation ahead of time. First, you, you can do that by picking a day. Now, for, for most of us, that's, that's going to be Sunday. Uh, for, you know, for, for me, for instance, and for others, uh, it's, it's a Monday. I know pastors who take a Friday as their Sabbath, right? Um, so, Choose the day that, that fits the rhythm of your, uh, of your family and your work. But also, uh, it's not just picking a day, it's also picking a time. Uh, 
A traditional practice is, is, is more or less, you know, from midnight to midnight, from the time that I wake up until the time that I go to bed again. But uh, many people prefer the ancient Jewish practice of observing the Sabbath from sunset to sunset. Um, uh, this is particularly true of people who find it advantageous to do some Sunday night preparation for the start of the new week on Monday morning. So pick a time. You can also prepare... Uh, by having a plan. Have at least an idea of what the Sabbath is going to look like. In the same way that you would want to take advantage of vacation days by by booking the cottage or buying a tent or purchasing airline tickets ahead of time, uh, prepare for the Sabbath day. Having a plan gives you time to gather what's needed. When I was growing up, uh, the, the Sunday was my mom's day off from housework and from cooking. As much as, as much as she could. And so what she would do is she would make a gigantic pot of soup on Saturday night um, for dinner, and that would give us enough leftovers for lunch on Sunday. Uh, in the evening, there would be, there'd be pancakes or cheese sandwiches. And when we got older, the Sunday night meal, Sunday night was, was fend-for-yourself night, was sort of you-figure-it-out night. Saturday was the day then for getting groceries, uh, for, for putting away farm equipment, and for fueling up the car. Because restful Sabbath requires preparation and thinking ahead. Uh, second, um, worship on the Sabbath day. Right? We do that by, by joining together as a church for Sunday communal worship. Now obviously that's more complicated these days, but the pandemic ought not be a reason to neglect the gathering of God's people, even if that has to happen virtually. Uh, I'd also say to those who are watching on the live stream and do that regularly, beware of getting in the habit of just saying, well, I'll just, I'm just going to look up the live stream recording uh, and uh, later on I'll, I'll watch it at some random time, you know, when I have the time. Maybe it'll be this afternoon, maybe it'll be tomorrow night, maybe it'll be sometime on Wednesday. I'd like to encourage you to include worship in your Sabbath day. Note, too, that uh, today... Uh, we're having a pastor at Sunday Zoom Fellowship um, hosted by our elders. Uh, the, the Sabbath is also a good day for individual worship. Remember that time of solitude to engage in that. Uh, and make an effort on the Sabbath to notice God's hand at work in your life, uh, in those, uh, His hand at work in those near you and, and in the world around you. Because the Sabbath is a day for worshipful attitudes. Swoboda noted in his book that when he first preached a series on Sabbath observance at his church, some people took, took offense, took surprisingly strong offense. And, and after talking with them and reflecting, he attributed it to an idolatry of time. That is, people believing that Sunday is first and foremost my day to do with as I please. We do well to remember the surrender side of worship. Third, Rest. Rest on your Sabbath. I want to encourage you to shut off all your devices. Put all your cell phones in one place. A family can have a Sabbath smartphone basket. If you don't have a, a landline anymore, uh, it, you know, then they maybe leave one phone on for emergencies. There's also an app that you can get or a setting on many phones where if the same number calls you a second time within three minutes, then it will ring even if it's on silent. 
Right? So there are, there are technology ways uh, you know, to, to give yourself a better Sabbath. And consider once, once the worship time is over and the fellowship time is over, leaving all of your screens off. Take a break from, from your screens. Because resting means not doing workish things. Certainly, that means don't do the things that, that normally fill your work day. Make it a no-study, no-homework day in your home. Many students have found that that is not only possible, but that their grades have gone up because their brains are getting a rest. Now, and I recognize that, especially for parents of small children, you know, the Sabbath rest requires some creativity. But again, think ahead. Plan ahead as you can. Cook ahead of time. Uh, give your spouse a break as you, as you trade off. Or trade kids around. I know that's more complicated in a pandemic time, um, but if, if, if there are kids in your social bubble or in your family bubble, uh, you know, consider trading off because kids are, are sort of more engaged and distracted when they have a friend over uh, and, and um, you know, anyway, set that up if you can. And then do restful things. Read a book by the fireplace. Go for a hike in the woods, that you, a woods you've never been to before. Play a game together. Make pancakes together. Light some candles. Identify the birds that you're seeing. Drink some good wine with friends around a physically distanced fire pit. And, and the thing with this is, is I recognize this takes some discernment because one person's work is another person's rest. I, for instance, I've been chastised in the past for fishing on Sunday. My, my grandfather, who was a vegetable farmer, uh, would, he, I'm sure he would take offense at my woodworking on my Sabbath. But then he would spend his Sundays writing letters and reading theology, which is like my job. If correspondence counts, you know, email counts as correspondence. And that is why uh, uh, later rabbis had direction for this. They said those who work with their hands should Sabbath with their minds. And those who work with their minds should Sabbath with their hands. So it would be good to establish for yourself a filter question. Would doing this help rest my soul and orient it towards gratefulness to God? Is this activity life-giving? And then be honest with yourself, uh, you know, with the answer. And recognize that in a, in a family, in a household, there's going to have to be some give and take of that. You've got introverts and extroverts in your house that have different ideas of what does restfulness look like. But do the hard work of preparation and, and, and talking that out together for the sake of the blessing that rest is. The writer of Hebrews in discussing Sabbath makes an ironic statement. He says, let us make every effort to enter that rest. In other words, Sabbathing well takes a lot of work. takes a lot of effort. Make every effort, he says. But remember what we've, what we've been talking about. This isn't about adding to your hurry, but subtracting. We're talking about subtracting. And subtracting means sacrifice. Remember burnt offerings in the Old Testament? Right? Poof, there goes your best lamb. Gone. That's the nature of sacrifice. You give up what is good to attain what is better. Recognize the discipline that Sabbath keeping requires. Right? Sabbath is a verb. It's going to take some practice. 
going to take some, some trial and error, figuring it out, some adjusting. And if you find that, you know, a Sabbath, this Sabbath doesn't go well, you get to give it a shot, another shot, next week. And all God's people said, Amen. Please pray with me. Lord God, we are grateful for the gifts that you've given to us, not least of all, the gift of Sabbath rest. Help us, Lord God, in this, in this frantic, hurried age, not to neglect your gift, not to fall to, to the momentum that drags us along, that exhausts our minds and distances us from you. Give us what we need, communally as we encourage one another, and individually as we reach out to you and seek out your Spirit's guidance. Give us what we need to enter your rest. For your name's sake and for your glory. Amen.